All right. So Proverbs 17. We're in 17 tonight. And it says, The Lord tests hearts. So verse 1. Excuse me. Verse 1 says, Better is a dry morsel. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting, or in this case they meant sacrificial meals, um, feasting with strife. Now strife, I didn't, you know, I don't use that word often, so I, I looked it up. And strife actually means angry or bitter disagreement over fundamental issues, which I thought was interesting, over fundamental issues or conflict. So I'll read it again. So better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with angry or bitter disagreement over fundamental issues. And so some of you, hopefully nobody has these issues, but sometimes you can have that issue that's just an issue that's been going on for a long, long time. And these are you know fundamental issues, and it always ends up in strife. And so it's better with a dry morsel, is it a dry morsel with quietness? I think if you hit the next uh, one here. So First Timothy... 1 Timothy 6, 3-6 says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and... Uh, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. And I put the word flee in there. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. And so in the men's study, we were studying uh, David and Bathsheba. And we said, you know, David should have fled, right? <laughs> he should have got out of there. I don't know if you want to go to the next. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. Could you go back? I'm, I over looked at one statement. So this is from Charles Bridges. It says, ponder every thought they may, that may quiet to contentment. So ponder every thought that may quiet to contentment. And that one just resonated uh, with me here uh, as well. But anyhow, if you go to the next slide. So we were studying David and Bathsheba. We know the story. He was supposed to be at war. He wasn't. He was on his, in the palace up high and saw Uriah the Hittite, his wife, and he should have just fled. He should have ran. He should have got out of there. But he didn't. You know, he saw her and, and, you know, and maybe we are in situations where we should flee or withdraw ourselves from anything that is leading us to pride, which will lead to strife, right? Is there anything that you or I need to flee from right now? <laughs> and Lord, help us to do just that. And flee, I just thought it was interesting to just kind of, it's an acronym, follow the Lord's emergency exit. Right, because First Corinthians ten thirteen says, "No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it." So, if you're in this situation, right, uh, flee, get out. It's not worth it uh, to be in strife. So, verse two. Uh, a wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and, sure, and will share an inheritance among the brothers. So in this uh, verse, the prodigal son comes to mind, right, where he was actually uh, demanded his inheritance, went out and spent it on wild living and everything else, and then he ended up in, you know, squandering it all. He's in the pigsty. 
And he comes up and says, man, I, you know, even my father's hired hands live better than this, right? When he was in, in the pigsty, let me go work for him. And so perhaps some families here can relate. You know, these are challenging situations. And, you know, you often see them maybe in family run businesses, you know, when it's time for secession planning, you know, you have, uh, you know, maybe a, a father or parents that are running the business and they go, hey, we'd really like to give this business off to Tommy or Joey, but John, who's been a faithful employee, he's not my son, but man, I'd rather give it to him because these guys aren't really ready for it, right? And so a wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame. And so uh, we want to be sons that aren't causing shame, right? We want to be, uh, be opposite of that, right, uh, in honoring our parents. So verse 3, uh, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. I think you have a next slide there. So yes. So the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. So for silver and gold, silver and gold, while slightly duller in their agglomerations and their different shapes, when they're not in their final beautiful form, you know, one can look at a nugget or a raw ore and, uh, but you can't really point to the dross. Like you can't say, oh, that's the good gold and that's the, that's the impurity, right? You can't do it. It's impossible. It's mixed. It's bonded together. And the only way to do that is a smelter has to put it in the furnace or the cauldron. And it's the only way that it can be seen. The only way it can be seen is by separating it. And the only way to separate it is with extreme heat. And so it is with us. How do we know where our dross is? How do we know where our impurity is? We can't really see it unless it's tested uh, in the furnace through our trials. And we know that God, the Lord, is the only one that can test the hearts, right? Sometimes we don't want God (laughs) to put us through that test or in the furnace, but God is the only refiner of the hearts. You know, as gold goes through multiple stages of this process to get to its near 100% purity, so too God refines us and transforms us and sanctifies us through the engineering of everything, the firing out of everything that is not Him, and sometimes this takes years decades, maybe even a lifetime, but then into a crown for his glory, our king, right? And that's what he's doing to us. And then just like the luster that's brightening each time the the gold or the silver is getting refined, so too for us. Each time we go through the furnace, we're brighter, we're lighter, we're purer, we're more Christ-like at the exit of the furnace than we were when we went in. We've lost the part of ourselves the bad part, some of the bad part, and less of us and more of him and perhaps for him, less of us for him. And it's amazing how God cares for us, right? To be patient, to orchestrate all of this furnace activity, right? In my life, in your life, and for every child of God's hearts, it's agape love, you know, amen. And so I I could just imagine like all of us are kind of in like a swim lane, right? Of our life and we're going through and there's furnaces in different stages of our lives. You know, some of us may only have one. <laughs> some of us may have 101. Not pointing to anybody on that one. I'm looking in the mirror on that one. But God knows all of those furnaces, and He attends all of those furnaces, and He knows what temperature for how long that each and every one of us need to go through each and every one of those stages. And He's like, He loves us that much. If He didn't love us, He could just do without all of that, right? He wouldn't do that. And as Barna said... <laughs> We need to be reminded of how great our God really is. And he does this. He doesn't do it to throw us in a furnace to punish us. 
He does it to make us like Him, right? Get rid of all the stuff that's not Him. How loving and great is our God? We do know that, right? Our word, the Word tells us. Verse 4, an evildoer, does, uh, or gives, an evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. Whew. So some say money goes to money, but this says evil goes to evil, right? And I suppose maybe as greed is to money, the evildoer is to lying lips. It migrates towards it. It's attracted to it. It wants it more and more. Evildoers love to do evil, I guess, hence the name. But they're attracted to the lies and the people that uh, tell them. Uh, so Bridges gives an example of Ahab. You know, Ahab always loved to have, he had that eager ear for the counsel of his murderous wife, man. She was wicked, but he just, he was feeling down. He'd just say, oh, honey, you know, things aren't going, oh, I'll take care of it, right? And he knew she was going to do evil, but he was attracted to it. He kept coming to it, right? And uh, and also, he also uh, talked about the Jews uh, being giving delighted ears to the false prophets who flattered them in their wickedness. They, they wanted to go to the people that told them what they wanted to hear, not the actual truth like Jeremiah was telling them. Um, so a current you know, worldly example could be tabloids, which are now you know, all over the Internet or social media, and, uh, and even with AI and ML, who knows where all that's going, right? But it's filled up with evildoers loving to spread rumors and lies and slanting things one way or, or the other. But it's easy to point to those cases because we aren't Ahab or Jezebel or the prophets or the tabloids. But maybe, you know, I have to look in the mirror on this one, but maybe more times than we want to admit, we take on some of those behaviors also. Maybe we, we are believing what we want to believe is true about somebody else, but we really don't get to know that somebody else, right? These are matters of the heart, right? Impurities of the heart that spew forth, and we desperately need God's refining fire of rebuke should we take part in this activity. For him to take down our pride and our selfish desires or behaviors and burn them out of us. These things have no place in the crown for his glory that we're being refined into. So turn up the heat, Lord. You know, bring, around, bring that furnace uh, in, in front of me, Lord, if I'm feeling this way. So verse 5, he who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. And so a repeated theme here, this theme keeps coming up in Proverbs, but God has a really soft heart for the poor. They are made in his image, just as you and I or anyone. So why would one mock the image of God? But yet we do. Why would we mock what we see in the mirror? I mean, it's no, we're no different, really. We're not any different. So why would we do it? It doesn't make sense. And Tim talked a lot about the loving calamity part. You know, some say this is re related to the poor in this particular verse, but but regardless, you reap what you sow, I suppose. If you're a pot stirrer, there's a furnace around the corner for you, right? What comes around goes around. You know, Lori's dad used to say that all the time. And, uh, you know, I would hear it and go, okay, yeah, but boy, the more time goes on, it's such a freeing statement. You're like, yeah, that person's doing really, you know, vile things, right, and loves calamity. But you know what? They're going to get a furnace eventually, and it's going to, you know, God's going to work on them. He's the one that decides that. He tests the hearts, right? There's a loving God that's adjusting the dials of the furnace that's trying to get that impurity out of that person. And that should be our prayer for that person, right? Is that he's made into his image or she's made into his image, right? It's not cruel. It's what a loving God would do. He, he could just as easily leave this pot stirrer stirring pots. But what glory would there be 
in that. Verse 6, children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. So a lot of us know that the commandment that has a, um, a reward with it is to honor thy father and mother, and long will be our days, right? So that's pretty straightforward. Uh, the, the one example that came to mind here as a personal example is when my father was sick in the last couple days of his life, you know, he checked himself into the hospital. They called my sister, and once uh, we were able to spend some time with him and realize that he was in sepsis, and, uh, you know, the doctor said, you know, it's really not a bad way to go. You know, you don't feel anything. You're not really in pain. But what it did was it enabled time for, you know, all of us to call his cousins, our cousins, you know, all of our family, grandkids, and all of these close friends. And as the people kept coming to the hospital, you know, there were tears, of course. We were sad to see him go, but my dad was, he was a real jokester, and so he was joking until <laughs> till his last breath. But man, this, we filled up the whole entire room and, and then some, and uh, to the point where even people in the hospital said, man, boy, this guy must have really been loved. You know, and he was, you know, and, the, and they said, this isn't common, you know, and they were even getting teary eyed as they were telling us that. And so to me, that was, wow, that was, I read that verse and that's just what I thought about, but I'm not saying it to, so that if you didn't have that experience, you know, they feel bad about it. It's just, we're all in a family of, of God, right? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So we all have that family and can do that for one another as well. But uh, that's what I thought of when, when I read that verse. Uh, verse 7, excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. So uh, Charles Bridges says, men naturally speak as they are. The lip is the organ of the heart. I don't think I ever heard it quite like that, phrased like that. The lip is the organ of the heart. And he continues to go on talking about the prince, the minister and the guardian of truth. And he says this statement, now mind you, this was written in 1840. Yet in a world where self reigns supreme, such inconsistencies are but too prevalent. So in 1840, if he thought self reigns supreme, I don't know what Charles Bridges would, would write about uh, today, right? But, um, but that's, that's, uh, that, that to me astonished me. But verse 8, a present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. And so, um, according to David Guzik, this uh, word present in this particular verse is the same word that they used for bribe. And so basically what it's saying is uh, bribes work, right? So a present is a precious stone or a bribe is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. And wherever he turns, it prospers. And so gifts entice, right? And with subtlety of influence can be a real challenge for a child of God to resist, especially if you're in a position of power in any way, shape, or form, and not to uh, steal from uh, the infamous Spider-Man, right? But with great power comes great responsibility. So teachers and leaders in the church, you know, they're doubly accountable for a reason, right? They can't take on this impropriety. And I spent a, a number of years in, in my career in purchasing. So probably 25% of my time, I was in a purchasing role, a buyer, purchasing manager. And, you know, you went, you negotiated deals with suppliers. You went to lunch with suppliers. And, you know, every rare occasion, they might buy a gift. And on one particular occasion, um, it was actually Lori and I were engaged to be married. And the one supplier bought us a wedding gift. And it was like this big crystal bowl. And, like, was, I was like, okay. Like, I, mean, I was like, wow, it's beautiful. But I'm like... 
this is really awkward. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't feel like I can take this, but it was like, hey, it was a nice gesture, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to go talk to my boss. And so I talked to him. I said, well, I don't know, what do I do with this? You know, I can't like, I can't return, you know, can I return it? Do I give it back to him? And so we talked through it and eventually he could say, hey, you know, this is okay. You, you, you can accept that, you know, it's not, not a big deal. But I mean, it was like agonizing, right? I'm, you know, wow, what a, this is a weird situation. I don't want to be look like I'm being bought, right? And that's the point of this verse is, right, it can be that way. You know, a few weeks later, I learned that our vice president would, went to Vail, Colorado with some other suppliers. I'm like, I'm agonizing over a crystal vase. You know, what, what's going on here? But, but it's not, that's still wrong. It doesn't matter what somebody else does, right? I had to be accountable for what I was doing, you know? And so that's, um, you know, that's what that verse is, is, is telling us. But uh, verse 9, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. And the key word here, um, when really read this over again in some of the commentaries, but it's seeks. You know, that he who covers a transgression seeks love. So seek implies effort. You know, this is somebody who's actually seeking <laughs> to cover a transgression. It's not seeking to get evil or get back or get revenge. I'm I'm going to seek out and actually just cover this transgression. Um, and that person seeks love. And so I can't think of anything that, you know, more uh, appropriate than the, the example that Christ gave, right? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave effort. He gave his only son, sent him here, sought us out and sacrificed, not covering, but obliterating, right? Removing, atoning. He finished the effort all the way through. And love moved first, right? Like, wow, that's amazing, right? He took the effort to cover our transgressions. And so we too are to love like this. Seek it out. Pay it forward. What God has done in each of our lives. And I was in a, uh, a Stephen Covey class. I think it was a Stephen Covey class that discussed this uh, concept uh, about emotional bank accounts. So don't get hung up on the word emotion necessarily. But the point was that amongst your circle of influence that you have, your, your spouses, your kids, your friends that are closest to you, you know, there's like, emo, like an emotional bank account. So if I'm loving on you and I'm, I'm you know, helping you out, doing things and just all, all the right things, I'm building up an emotional bank account with you when I do that. And if I'm doing that through my whole network, right, I have a very healthy network and this is a very positive thing. And if I trip up, I've got an, I got a, I got some money in the emotional bank account. So they'll say, Oh, Hey, don't worry about it. No, you're good. Don't worry about it. But if I'm a person that's basically never doing what I'm saying I'm going to do and I'll be there for you and I'm not and always taking and not giving and, and all of this stuff, you know, the account goes to zero and then the account goes negative, which then alienates you from them. It separates you just like what the verse says. But he who repeats the matter separates friends. And so, but to maintain positive balances like that takes effort. It takes work. You know, but he that knew no sin became sin for us, took our place, took the supreme effort. He couldn't do anything more. He didn't need to do more. But that is the example living inside us as believers. Amen. We don't have that love or power apart from him. You know, let us be encouragers and lovers of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us seek to build up... <laughs> the accounts of our brothers and sisters. It is the way that Jesus said that we will, that the people will know that we are his, right? It's by the way we love one another. If we look a mess or have tons of negative balances, you know, what kind of witness is that, right? It's not too late, but if you see that survey, <laughs> right, results, we kind of look a mess, right? We have work to do it, but it's not too late. 
Ask him to come upon you and come upon me and help us to reestablish the love balances, the trust. Help us to clean up any messiness or negative balances that we have as only he can. Unless you like the idea of the furnace around the corner, right, one way or another. So verse 10, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. That sinks in. Uh, one of the commentators uh, said that if we were living in the, the verse previously, if we're a person that's living out and seeking out and covering transgressions, then we should be able to take, be willing to take the rebuke, right? It should be consistent. I think we have a nut, next verse up there too. It says, Micah 7, 9 says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. I think you can skip the next one. I don't think we need to need to go to the next uh, one. But verse 11 says, An evil man seeks only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Verse 12 says, Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Ooh, that's a, um, that's a big one. And... Uh, on vacation this uh, summer in August, we were in Florida, which was very hot uh, this year, and escaped the hot. And I came into the air conditioning, and on TV was this show called um, I, I Was Prey. I don't know if anybody's ever seen this show, but basically it's people that encountered wild animals, and they got attacked, but they survived and lived to tell about it. And so there was a, several different examples, and here's this one example of a guy who's hiking through none other but the Great Bear Forest near Vancouver, and he gets separated from his party, has no bear spray, no weapon of any kind, and sure enough, man, he comes in counter, sees a large grizzly like 20, 30 yards away, and he says, ah, oh, you know, they'll just run away, like there's no babies around, and as soon as he said that, a little baby cub walked right in front of that grizzly, and he was like, oh boy, and man, that thing made a beeline to him, supercharged at him, and he just, he said, all I could do is jump on my belly, and you know, and they kind of do these reenactments, which are pretty gruesome, but it's jumping on him, it's biting him, it's attacking him, and uh, and it walks away for a little bit, comes back, does it some more, and he's trying to cover up, he's biting his arms, everything, it's it's really vicious. And then uh, the bear goes away, and he said it was jumping on all fours, really angry, and so he said the only thing that he had that was sort of like a weapon were some steel um, uh spikes on his boot that were pretty small, but it was the only thing he had, and he's like, man, if I don't do something, he's just, I'm dead. And so he rolled over on his back, it charged him again, and he kicked it as hard as he could in the face, and it kind of stunned the bear, and the bear eventually walked, you know, went away, and so his buddy, he eventually found his buddy, and they, they got him back to safety. But, but this verse says, as horrific as that is, and as bad as that is, <laughs> that is better than meeting a fool in his folly. And I was like, man, that has to be some folly, but Bob Davis was teaching on it, and he said, better than a fool with a gun right? Better than a fool with a knife, better than a fool with a bomb. And so when fools like that get power like that, you know, we, we know the examples that we already have from our history lessons. A fool with his folly can be quite destructive. And so that bear attack isn't, doesn't seem as bad. So it's, uh, uh, we don't want to encounter fools, right? We don't want to be a fool for sure. So verse 13 says, whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. 
And while there's no law against loving your enemies, as Tim spoke about last week, apparently there's some very stiff consequences for repaying good with evil. The house is going to be overtaken by evil, and it's never going to recover, actually. And so the not to overuse this example, but it, it's in the story, is uh, you know King David and Uriah, the Hittite, right? Uriah was his mighty man of valor. He was his general. He fought for him. He fought alongside for him. He did great good for David. And what did David repay his good with? He took his wife. He tried to cover. He got her pregnant. Tried to cover it up, and then he had him killed. And so while David would not be put to death, God spared him from dying. Right? That should have been the penalty. Um, but we see in Second Samuel twelve ten, it said, "Now therefore the sh- the sword." shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And so evil will not depart from his house and evil didn't repart, depart from David's house even though David's life would spare would be spared is, and uh, the Messiah would come from his line. David had stiff consequences for the evil that he intended for the good that he received from Uriah uh, because he despised God. And that is what it's like when we do that. When we uh, reward um, evil for good, it's, it's like a disease that's never going to leave, never going to vacate us. The beginning of strife is like releasing water, verse 14. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. And some of the commentators, they just related this to the water coming from the dam. So when the dam's about to break, um, you know, you got, a, you got a short chance to try to stop it because once it goes, man, it's going to be destructive, right? And so just like a, if you think of the Johnstown flood or any flood that happened when a dam broke, I mean, it's everything's gone, right? And so it is what, at the end of a contentious quarrel. What does that look like? Pretty destructive as well. Usually physically destroying people. People are hurt, right? And so... At the beginning of strife, like, therefore, stop contention. We should be uh, contention stoppers, right? We don't want to be uh, going on with that. Verse 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them are alike an, an abomination to the Lord. So building on, on the story of David and Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet could have remained silent or defended the king, but he had to convey with, to him what God said via that parable. It totally convicted David. You know, the Lord is the perfect judge, so of course any sign of complete injustice is an abomination to God. Verse 16, it says, Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom since he has no part for it? And uh, I think there's a Charles Bridges quote. Uh, Is that it? Yeah, there it is. It says, Yet how many thousand fools have no heart to buy would rather lose it than labor for it, rather go sleeping to hell than toiling to heaven. And that's what jumped out at me when I read that. The remnant of the ten tribes despise the opportunity put within their reach of coming up to the feast of the Lord. And the town where Jesus was brought up, the cities where he wrought his miracles, willfully despised the price of his wisdom. Man, let us not be like that, right? But we know in our stats that we saw People are rejecting God's truth. It's right in front of them, right? And we have to deal with it. But even though, however, that, um, you know, this, this is the case, in reading the Psalms that we did just before the Proverbs, God kept going back to these uh, idolatrous <laughs> Israelites saying, come back to me. <laughs> come to me. Just turn to me. 
they, he was still willing to accept the harlot, right? If only she would stop and turn and come to him. Such mercy and grace. If we will only let him or receive that precious gift from him. And that's good news for us. I mean, that's why we're reminded that God, how great our God really is. And so if anyone here tonight perhaps feels like they've been the harlot or the prodigal or God won't take them back, you know, flee from that devilish thought, right? God loves you and wants nothing more uh, than, than that of your heart in whatever condition you bring it to Him in. Amen? So maybe tonight's the night that you give it to Him. Lord, make it so. Verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And so uh, lots of great examples, right? Joseph and his, with his brothers, David and Jonathan, uh, Ruth and Naomi. And maybe some of you are even thinking about someone as we read this popular teaching of some friends or siblings or cousins or uncles, right? You know, I have, I'm blessed to have you know some siblings and some lifelong friends, right, that, that live this out. But even at work, you know, they try to have a, get us to have a best friend at work, you know, and this was like a controversial term for a while because they're like, I don't have a best friend at work, but it was like, don't get hung up on that. Like, they just want you to have somebody at work that you could turn to and go to because you might not be able to go to your boss or here or wherever and that you could, you know, be there for somebody, right? And so we should have a best friend at work and wherever we are, and we should be a best friend to somebody <laughs> at work. Be that person, right? Be, be born uh, for adversity. Uh, with our brothers and sisters. Verse 18 says, A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. Uh, David Guzik said, uh, Wisdom guards us against foolish partnerships, and it is responsibility enough to honor our own debts. Wisdom warns us against taking the responsibility for the debts of others. And I, I first read that, I thought, wow, does that mean like I'm not supposed to help anybody out with their <laughs> debts? And I think what it means is that it's, this is like somebody who's been, you know, kind of had habitually had some issues, right? And, you know, you kind of maybe know some of these people and that maybe it's the second, third, fourth time and you're going to go back and be surety for this person. You're going to co-sign the loan. It's kind of like, hey, that's probably a bad idea, right? This is warning us to be uh, wise in that area. And uh, Chuck Smith actually said on this, he goes, it's kind of funny what he said. He goes, he must have been burnt a number of times over this, so meaning Solomon, because it comes up again and again and again. And if you think of Solomon, he had 600 wives. You know, he was just like, hey, everybody, it's great. You know, party. I can only imagine 600 wives. They all probably said, hey, could you sign a, lo take a loan for my brother? You know, he was probably, oh, yeah, sure. And he probably got burnt by it a lot. I mean, I don't want to put something in the Bible that's not there, but that's what it means. He's like, he must have been burnt uh, by this a number of times. And so it's there for us, right? I mean, we have to be smart in, in this manner, right? Verse 19, he who loves transgression loves strife. There's that strife word again, right? Angry or bitterness over fundamental issues or conflict. He who loves transgression loves angry and bitterness uh, arguments, right? And he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. Proverbs 16, 18 that we just went over last week says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, so if I would just ask the question, who wants to hang out with lovers of transgressions and strife? You know, how many hands are going to be raised up? Nobody wants to be around anybody like that. It's exhausting, isn't it? I mean, bad boys, tough crowd, troublemakers, pot stirs we talked about earlier. I mean, this is, uh, this is, these are difficult people to, to be around, right? And uh, David Guzik said, if we exalt, and so this is like our responsibility, if we exalt the leadership of those uh, who love transgression and strife, 
We promote destruction. Such people should never sit in the gate of respect, leadership, and authority. And I just wrote, how are we doing in that today? You know, do we lift up people that shouldn't be lifted up? Do we promote people that shouldn't be promoted? I guess if we just look at our voter cards and our political system, I don't know. It's kind of a scary thing there, right? They seem to feed off of, of that. You know, we've kind of gone astray. Again, our survey kind of points that out a bit. Um, there was an example at work where uh, in that purchasing job, there was a guy, and he, he was a brilliant, like, test him on the IQ scale. He was brilliant. He was a very smart, smartest guy in the room all the time. But the guy was a train wreck. I mean, it was collateral would follow him. He would just, you know, his, the way he handled people in relationship. And all they did was they kept saying, oh, but he's so smart. Like, what? And they kept moving him to a different job at a different place. And man, it was like destruction just followed him. We should not be promoting people like that. So heaven forbid we ever do that in the church, right? God warns uh, strictly against that. Verse 20, he who has a deceitful or crooked heart finds no good. And he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. So in other words, if you're crooked and deceitful to others, you end up assuming that others are always doing that with you, all right? So one, that keep, it keeps you uh, keeps feeding you to be more and more deceitful and crooked because <laughs> I got to keep being that. I got to keep being ahead of the other person. And two, it blinds you to any good that might be coming to you from that other person. So that other person could just be coming up and being nice to you, but you're like, I know they're out to get me. And then you don't see it, right? And it's that's destructive. And so while, you know, the, the perverse tongue is more than just swear words, you know, it does include swear words in the way we talk. You know, one of the kids came up years ago and said, hey, you know, so-and-so told me that, you know, it doesn't say you can't swear in the Bible. And I was like, oh, okay, it doesn't. Well, let's look at Colossians. If you want to skip ahead, there you go. Colossians 3, 8 through 10 says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And they were like, oh, okay. Um, I was, I'm wrong. I said, yeah, you got to be careful who you're listening to and make sure they know what it says, right? Do not lie to one another since you have been put, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And as James said, yeah, but no man can tame the tongue, right? It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. It's tough, right? Um, verse 21 says, he who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. So if you think, go to the next slide. So scoffer, I had to look it up because I was like, okay, I think I, I, I get it, right? And so scoffer is one who foolishly doubts and rejects the truth. That's what David Guzik defined it as. Merriam-Webster says an expression of scorn, derision, or contempt. And I said, man, doesn't this come into play with our inventory, right? Our, our American worldview inventory. So parents, listen up. <laughs> I have to listen up, right? We should do all that we can do not to raise scoffers. You know, we don't want to raise somebody who foolishly doubts and rejects the truth. We often say the apple doesn't far, fall too far from the tree. So it often means taking an introspective look. I have to look inside myself and say, man, you know, I look at my behaviors of my kids and I have to say, Ooh, I have to look in the mirror. Where's that coming from? Right, I have to look at my parental behaviors at the same time. What what I do is more of a sermon to my to those around me than what I'm saying uh, to my children. So if I'm raising a scoffer, more than chances likely I'm a scoffer too. So we need to break that cycle. So if you're in the scoffer cycle, 
Let's get out. We don't want our children to be fools, so Lord, help us with that. Verse 22, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So there's lots of other parables that speak to some of the similar uh, things about anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, all those things. So I always say, you know, things happen, right? And you have a choice. You can either laugh or cry about it. I choose to laugh, right? That's just me, right? Because I'm not saying crying isn't appropriate at times, but why not, right? I mean, laugh at it, right? It doesn't, uh, you know, again, it doesn't say that you can't cry, but it doesn't say crying is good medicine. <laughs> it says a merry heart is good medicine, right? It does the world. And I think if you, you know, just think about that, right? I mean, if you're always down, 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 down all the time, I mean, it just it takes you spiraling down, so you kind of have to break out of that. Verse 23, a wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. And so simply put, it's wrong to take and to make bribes, period, right? First, it's biblical, and uh, as we serve a completely true and honest and just judge in God, right? He, it just has no place in it, right? In, a weird, in another way, it's a form of conditional love, like, hey, I'll give you this if you give me that, and that's not the way God loves, right? He, he loves unconditionally. And as Xander preached on Sunday in the garden, everything was perfect. All was God's, but all were all was ours uh, uh, too, in a complete and perfect union with God. After the fall, we're just trying to get back to this perfect union, but one cannot bribe their way back to a perfect union, right? And in fact, if you try to take that angle, you know, you're going to be put in the slow lane and there's going to be a furnace around the corner, right? Verse 24, wisdom in, is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. I think there's another slide for the Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes says, 2, 2.14 says, the wise man's eyes are in his head. <laughs> Interesting. But the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. And so Guzik uh, quoted this uh, from someone else. It says, As a student who is hearing nothing of what the teacher says might let his eyes rove to every corner of the classroom, so the fool who is inattentive to the instruction of wisdom is said to have his eyes on the ends of the earth. So if your eyes are all over the end of the earth, that's not on wisdom. We should have our eyes on wisdom. Amen. Verse 25, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. So we've seen this already in multiple places. We saw it in verse 21. The exception here is the, the mother's brought in. The mother's bitterness is brought in. It's added a special mother-only sadness or pain that uh, you know this is what a, a, a foolish son is, not just to the father, but to the mother as well. Verse 26 goes on and says, Also, to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness, and again, uh, this is a repeated character of God, right? He's perfectly honest and just and righteous, so he can't err. He can't make any errors in the imperfection arising from punishing the righteous. It goes against God's nature and character, and it's just impossible for God to do. Therefore, he will address every one of those situations. And again, sometimes we just go, man, but like they're just such a jerk, and why is, you know, something, they have this, they, uh, you know... Ah, you know, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. Not maybe, kind of, whatever. And that's very freeing. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. God's got it. 
Like, why would I even spend an ounce of time worrying about that? And that's hard. In the corrupt political worlds today, it's hard to see this playing out, the second part of that verse, nor strike princes or leaders for their uprightness. But we, it's hard to see this today playing out. But leaders should be honored and recognized and rewarded for being upright. <laughs> and I, that convicted me. I'm thinking, man, you know, how often do we do that? Do, we, do you see a lot of that on the news? You know, hey, let's recognize somebody. They did a great job. They were an honest and righteous leader. Uh, it seems to be the opposite that we focus on, you know. Uh, verse 27, almost there. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Well, that first one uh, is hard for me as Jandy. <laughs> um, brevity is not my strong suit, as you probably are like, yeah, I know, man, hurry on, get on with it. Um, and I would just always say I'm a continual work in progress, right? So similar to Tim last week about depositions, advising his clients, just shut up, you know, <laughs> like, shut up, don't talk, and only answer the questions with as few words as possible. Don't fill the air. So recent feedback from my the interim boss that I report to, right, and he said, you know, I can tell that, you know, you're an honest, kind, caring person. He goes, but just be more succinct at times. He goes, fewer words, fewer words. And this is from an Italian guy that uses a lot of words, you know. So I was like, all right. So I, I was able to practice being a wise man, and I took the rebuke, right? I was like, all right, man, that's cool. I, I, I take that well. And so if I would have just asked us tonight for the second part of that verse, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit, if I just ask who wants a calm spirit, how many people would have <laughs> raised their hand, right? Yes, we want calm spirits. All, everybody probably would. And it's back to that Bridges uh, statement that I read earlier, ponder every thought that may quiet to contentment. Ponder every thought that may quiet to contentment. Contentment's such an awesome word, isn't it? It's just like, why can't we just be happy? You know, just wherever you are, you know, what's the big deal? Just you know, be happy about it, right? It's just be content. And man, ponder every thought that can get us there, right? So James 1.19 says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, Slow to speak, slow to wrath, i.e. a calm spirit. Right? This is how we're to be. All right, final one. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. And so we can close out with the uh, infamous quote from Abraham Lincoln. It is better to keep your mouth shut and let them think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? Uh, amen. Right? So in summary... You know, we have a sin problem that leads to an American worldview problem, which we just saw. And we need to get back to the basics in this country, in this town, in the city, in the state, right? <laughs> At least within this walls we are. We are in the full counsel of God. Amen? Right? Let us never stop doing that. We're laying foundations on His Word and we're not leaving anything to chance. Genesis to Revelation and do it again and again as many times as we have to, right? And we can do that one heart at a time. God deals with each and every Every, one, every heart of a child of God by refining it, getting the impurities out. How does He do that? He rebukes us. He corrects us. He teaches us on how to avoid envy and strife, right? To honor righteousness. We want to raise lovers of the truth, not scoffers of the truth. We want to be lovers of the truth and not scoffers of the truth. We want cheerful hearts, fewer words, lovers of the poor, right? Uh, put faith um, or put forth effort to cover transgressions. Accept rebukes of wise men mm, and be that friend and brother born for adversity. That's what this says, right? 
So, Lord, uh, thank you, God, for loving us, for being patient with us, for refining us into your likeness. Oh, if anyone here does not uh, have that relationship with the Lord that loves them that much, Lord, um, oh, yeah, may, may you surrender uh, your heart now after hearing this, Lord. Lord, work their hearts to surrender, uh, Lord, and work out in us all the impurities that keep us from being like you, that uh, keep us from having a perfect crown, Lord. Lord, we know there's furnaces around the corner for us because we need them, Lord. We don't, re we don't hesitate. Lord, help us not to hesitate. Help us not to avoid it. Help us not to fight you on it. Lord, uh, just have your way with us. Uh, remove anything from us that is not of you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. All of God's children said, Amen.